HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. This week on Meet and 3, it's the final episode of our series on global trade. We're thinking futuristically, from China's ambitious plans for a new Silk Road to the future of borders and automation. If you're a banana, you know, it's easy to cross the border. But if you're a person who's trying to follow the jobs, uh, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to do so in an authorized and safe fashion. They love food trucks and they love growing your own food because these things are not dependent on essentially government systems. So there's a whole politics to pretzels on the dark web. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Adam Epstein, VP of Growth at Perpetua, a company that makes powerful yet simple to use software tools for agencies and brands selling products online. Using AI, Perpetua's platform helps brands maximize their visibility on Amazon, Instacart, Google, and pretty much any e-commerce channel. You may not see them, but Perpetua is behind the marketing teams of many of today's best brands, including us, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is right. We, we, we're, we're, we have a very, 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 very small part in the success of Haven's Kitchen Online. <laughs> A very well, small part. Thank you. Welcome, Adam. I'm glad you're here. We've been talking you, about Allie. this for uh, a long time. I don't know. For some reason, I'm, the podcast has been a topic of conversation for us. I'm pumped to be here. You're an amazing host. I'm I'm ready to to be in your hot seat. All right. I'm looking forward to this moment for a while now. I I can feel that energy, and I'm very excited. I hope I don't let you down. I'm going to start with the big question. You are from Canada, yes? <laughs> Is that a question or a statement? <laughs> it's both. I'm, I, I'm from Canada. I'm in Canada right now. It's February. Yes. It's cold. Yeah. 
Um, but you have like underground networks in Canada, no? To in get the downtown to core of Toronto, mm -hmm. do you do have the ability to not leave outside? Right. For a, for about a, I want to say twenty by thirty block radius. That's kind of amazing. Um, it's also really depressing. Yeah. So I, if I you're if you're like too. a big corporate banker or a lawyer, um, in the wintertime, depending on where you live, you you might have the ability from your house to the subway to downtown to not go outside at all. And for, never get for, any vitamin for months D. at a time. Yeah, that's that that's probably not healthy. Did you grow up in Canada? Yeah, I grew up in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, lived here my entire life. I, I love it here. I just really don't like it in January and February. Right. Um, I mean, that makes sense. Do you ever, I mean, under normal circumstances, not COVID, do you, are you like one of the Miami, Toronto people? You know, you know, it's funny. <laughs> um, I've, I've actually spent the past six weeks in Miami. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. But um, my wife and I went, went, made a vacation, uh, went to Florida during the Christmas break. And I just said, you know what? I, I really like it here. I, I have no <laughs> desire to leave. Yep. And sure enough, uh, my wife left. She had some appointments here that she couldn't bail on. And uh, I stuck it out in Miami for as long as possible <laughs> before she said, you have you to, come, to back. come home. You're, you're married. This is ridiculous. Yeah. You can't, yeah. you can't live there alone. Um, uh, so I'm back. I've done my two week quarantine. I've uh, gone to the grocery store to get toilet paper a couple times. Otherwise, okay. I'm leveraging online food and grocery delivery almost exclusively to survive here in frigid Toronto. Which is a great segue into- I know, right? Yeah, well done. You, you've done podcasts before. So let's talk, you, you wrote two things that you did before you landed at Perpetua. I just, listeners, so you understand, I've been working with Adam- for several months. I never really understood what they did. And when I was writing the notes for the podcast and I said, can you just explain what you do? He did. And then it still took me a couple of hours, but I think that I, I think I'm getting it now for someone who is such a Luddite. I, I think I'm understanding the tech. That being said, you were co-founder and CEO of two consumer tech companies that were both acquired before you landed at Perpetua. And I could not, I don't know what they were. So maybe instead of going deep into each one of them, give me a little bit of a, you know, a couple sentences on how you landed at Perpetua and why, why you decided to work there. Yeah, really good question. So as you mentioned, I, uh, I, I was the co-founder and CEO of several or two uh, technology companies and the first one I did was a little over a decade ago in Toronto. Um, it was a sports scheduling app for recreational athletes. Uh, so I used to play a lot of basketball as a way for myself and my friends, whether it be pickup or via an organized league game for us to organize our games rather than reply all emails and texts um, and leveraging mobile technology to enhance that experience. But around that time in Toronto, not many people were starting technology companies. Um, there wasn't this massive amount of money and people um, in the technology space in the city. And I got to know a guy named Joe, um, who was also building a fun company that ended up being a GIF messenger app called Relay. And uh, Joe and I had known each other for the better part of a decade. We've always looked at ways to work together. And about two and a half years ago, um, he, we grabbed lunch and 
he said, hey, I'm working at this company there. It's in Amazon advertising and we have this 10 person team that's primarily product people and software engineers. We've raised some money, but we don't really have that many customers. And, you know, it'd be really awesome to grow that side of our business. And um, at the time I was working at a large Indian fintech company called Paytm. Um, it's bigger than credit cards and debit cards combined in India. Uh, almost 400 million people use the app daily funded by Alibaba, Berkshire Hathaway, and SoftBank. And I was GM of the Canadian business. And while it was an amazing learning experience, I was looking for uh, something else to do. And the moment I had lunch with Joe, I said, hey, Ben, where do I sign up? I'm in. Um, and, and the CEO of a company, a guy named Roscoe, who's a really impressive guy, said, like, why, why are you so gung-ho? Like, what, what, why, why are you in, in immediately? Like, th this seems like a big decision. And I said, look, like, like many people, um, I'm an Amazon shareholder. And whenever I own a stock, I really nerd out on, on what's going on with the stock. And I had been following Am Amazon's advertising business. So I said to Roscoe, I said, look, like, I don't think in the history of the world has there ever been a double digit billion dollar category growing 100% year on year at the world's largest company, which basically just describes Amazon advertising. So I said, I, I kind of want to be a part of something like that. I, I feel like there's an opportunity to grow a really significant business. And um, and we've been off to the races since. I joined in uh, October 2018, and now we're in February 2021. And uh, this past year, we grew 350%. We now serve thousands of customers globally across Amazon, Instacart, Target, um, with future marketplaces coming in the near future. And, um, and I'd like to say I've never worked harder and I've never had more fun working. So it's been an amazing journey these past few years. Yeah, no, I mean, so that's a very good sort of summary of, of what it is. And it's funny because when we first, so everyone who listens to this podcast on the regular knows that, you know, I, and I think, you know, this background, basically we knew that we were going into 500 whole food stores and 600 you know, Target stores and 500 Kroger stores in 2020. And Wegmans was a big one for you as well, right? Yeah, we were, we had already been in Wegmans, um, oh, okay. but we knew that we were going into those like thousand plus stores. And in March of 2020, when this whole pandemic thing started, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, well, we're not doing any demos. Like that's not happening. So how on earth are we going to get people to know that we exist? Like how, how, are, how are people even gonna know that we're on the shelf? And by the way, if a lot of people aren't going into stores, then even more so, how are they gonna know? So I called a guy who was on this podcast named Chris Mo, who is an Amazon guy. And uh, I just was basically like, what are the tools at my disposal for building awareness if people aren't going into stores? And how do I, how do I get, anyone to know that this product exists. So he hooked me up with you, um, primarily not because we were going to go on Amazon just yet, but, but because we did want to do Instacart ads. And I will say, I think our Wegmans ads, I think our Wegmans sales have grown, I, I think tripled um, since we started doing Instacart ads with you. On that, on that first conversation though, I'll never forget, you were like, we are a product, we are not a service. And I was like, okay, great. But still, can you like 
do something for like I didn't even know what Instacart ads were at the time. I didn't I it it was crazy. And you kind of kept saying, We're a platform, you can we're gonna build out this platform and then like hand it over kind of thing. So can you kind of explain Allison, you're confusing people. Yeah, I know. Can you can you we, we got it we gotta make this simple. Okay. <laughs> yeah, please. Um Okay, so Perpetua is a software product that allows advertisers that advertise uh, sell on marketplaces to um, to grow their business as efficiently as possible. Um, we built um, very simple and easy to use tools, as you mentioned, that allow you to dictate your strategy. And we have what we call an AI powered ad engine that performs the tactics that we believe a human is should not be doing. And software should be doing to get the best possible results on those platforms. And let Addition, me just break yep. that down just for a second, because that means, and this took, this is what I was like really focused in on on the weekend, right? Like there, there are things that require human talent, like thinking about a cute copy or like a good GIF, as you said. And then there are things that really can be solved better with machine learning, like which words work the best. Right. Like th- there Big are prices, match types, right. placements, and being able to change that across all your SKUs on a at minimum daily basis based on the real time data that's coming in from the marketplace is just something that you, the founder of your company, um, should not be doing. That <laughs> that is an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you do like the keywords. You do like having a role in the keywords. I did at the beginning. Now I'm kind of like, listen, whatever, whatever works. I don't, I'm not going to beat out AI. Um, they have superpowers. I don't. There you go. Now let's talk, let's wait, let's talk about superpowers. So, so this is a, an important thing. So um, the mission of our company is to give superpowers to anyone that sells online and um, being a former founder. And I know that a lot of founders of CPG brands listen to this podcast, you know, any time in which digital advertising is hard, like like running Google ads, running Facebook ads, running Instagram ads, it's hard. It requires a significant amount of work. But when it works, sometimes it feels like magic, like everything just works and you're able to grow your business in ways that you've never otherwise assumed you'd be able to do so. Um, and, and some people rely on performance marketing teams of like dozens of people. Some people pay massive media agencies. And fundamentally, we believe that we can democratize that expertise with amazing software. And, and, and when that works, it really feels like you have a superpower. Like Allison, you were talking about how you tripled your, your Instacart sales. Like it felt, it felt like you had like this special power that other people didn't have. And, and we'd like to think that that's from our product. And we really try and cultivate that with, with everything that we do within our product on whatever marketplace that we, we embark on. Uh, we try and make it as easy as possible for founders to grow their business as efficiently as possible. Um, and, and for those that are a little sophisticated, we do provide some advanced tools um, for them to employ some um, detailed strategies on um, whatever marketplace they see fit. But, but at the real core of it, when we talk about who our customers are and, and what gets us super excited about building products, um, it is that. It's, it's providing them with superpowers. So, you know, one thing that, that happened this past week is we have this m- amazing story of this couple that uh, were building a product called Super Cubes. And it's basically large ice cube trays with like really high quality plastic um, 
that's like steel reinforced. So you can basically make a massive soup and then you can put it in a single cup or two cup tray and you put it in your freezer and then you take it out and you have a perfect serving. And, and this couple um, started this small side hustle. The small side hustle quickly turned into a multi-million dollar business. And this couple um, quit their jobs and focused exclusively on that. And just this past weekend, they were on Shark Tank and they absolutely murdered it. Um, like absolutely murdered it. They raised $400,000 on an $8 million pre-money valuation in which every single shark was all in. And, and it was just one of those amazing stories where you look at and you look at your teammates and that you've worked so hard for these past three years and you're like, wow, like, like this is what we're building. We're building products that allow people to, you know, quit their jobs to make millions of dollars. It's not magic. Not everyone is able to do that. But in this instance, that was one of those magical stories. And, um, and, you know, through the democratization of things like Shopify and Stripe and these other um, infrastructure layers around e-commerce, it's never been easier to start an e-commerce business, but at the same time, it's never been harder to grow an e-commerce business. Right. And I think, yeah, I think you bring up, no, you bring up a couple of really good points. Going back to, going back to like us at Wegmans for a second with Instacart, it was, it was a double joyful superpower experience for us because not only were we doing well in covid on with instacart ads but we were we were cracking the code at wegmans which we weren't able to crack before so while so wegmans is one of those retailers where you can't go on promotion even before covid they weren't doing demos we happened to be in like kind of a weird spot in Wegmans and it wasn't necessarily getting a lot of, you know, sort of like discovery. You know, we're in a refrigerator in the middle of the store. You have to open the door, you know, a little confusing. The minute that we started doing Instacart ads, you know, I think just everything changed. And and now it's interesting because I see people, I see the in-store you know, when I go to do merchandising, I see it's just like flowing fast. And we know that we're selling a lot at Wegmans. Um, so I think there's like, there are two pieces to the superpowers. One is like just, you know, doing really well on the platform, but but those platforms also really do impact your relationships with wholesalers, right? Now Wegmans wants more of us as opposed to before when they were like, who are you a little bit, you know? So that that is for sure. Yeah, it's Instacart, Instacart ads are, are a really interesting beast in that um, you know you mentioned when COVID happened, it was like how do we, we can't do demos anymore. Um, so um, and and I know that you don't have a massive what's called retail media team that would be doing demos and trade shows across the country, but some brands do, and some brands were spending tens and thousands of dollars on that a year, and they're like, hey, I have this retail media team. I have this budget for this team and everything has changed. And now it's like, well, well, how can I reallocate that budget in a scalable way to accelerate turn times at retailers? And, and, and Instacart ads provided a really awesome solution to that. So I think what we saw was a lot of uh, brands um, and Instacart did a very good job of capitalizing on this. One thing that they I don't know if they admitted anymore, but they admitted it at the time that they said, you know, we weren't planning on launching our ad product until Q4 2020. And they launched in Q1 2020 when the pandemic hit. And and 
obviously they're a private company. They don't disclose revenue numbers, but I am sure they made tens of millions, if not even a hundred million dollars on advertising in this past year because they capitalized on that opportunity. And you know what? Instacart ads really work Um, because it's an auction, um, because people bid on keywords. And if there aren't other people bidding on keywords, um, you win that keyword at a very efficient price. Um, so one of the things that we saw very early on is Amazon works on a similar auction model and Amazon's advertising platform has been a little bit more mature. So there's a lot more competition and competition bring prices higher. So, uh, you know, we have a case study with a beef jerky brand who, um, the keyword beef jerky would be incredibly expensive on Amazon. Um, and in some instances they were like, you know what, we don't, we we can't even on this keyword like it's it's just too expensive for us whereas there was a very significant early mover advantage by jumping on beef jerky on instacart because um it was such a nascent and um and uh, marketplace with such little competition the other really really powerful thing about instacart for all of the listeners that use the instacart product um there's a very powerful section on the bottom right called your items And the your items section really mimics the in-store shopping experience at a grocery store. Like Allison, when you, when you shop in a grocery store, you probably go to the same places at the same amount of time. You have like a a route that you take, right? Um, And you might have a couple unique things within your route, or you'll spot a delicious sauce in a fridge and be compelled (laughs) to buy that delicious sauce. Um, and, and Instacart has replicated that same behavior with the Your Item section. And they say that 25% of all purchases occur in that section alone. And, and from an advertising perspective, that's wildly powerful because if you can get in that Your Item section, basically if you can acquire that customer once, that's gold. Like every single founder that listens to this is very familiar with that model of CAC to LTV. Uh, cost to acquire customer, lifetime value of the customer. So you had this perfect storm on Instacart in which the cost to acquire customers was incredibly low because there was very little competition. And the repeat purchase value of those customers, hence the lifetime purchase value of those customers was incredibly high. So early movers and, and innovators like yourself, Allison, um, were, were, were able to jump on this opportunity and saw a tremendous amount of success. Well, okay, so bef- there... Okay, before we go to the break, though, I do want to ask a question about that because so, yeah, we were early, I think, which is great. But as more and more people kind of come onto the platform, are you saying that because we were early, we are in more baskets to begin with so that that we're already in that sort of your items area, which will make it which just means that it's less expensive for us going forward because we got in there earlier? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the customers that you acquired before that have already purchased your product that have your sauces in their, your item section, you've already acquired them. And, and when they come to the, your item sections, though there are ads in the, your item section as well, um, you're getting those organic sales from those customers. So not, not only are they cheap, they're free. Um, so, you know, that, that $1 or however much you paid to acquire that that customer on a chimichurri keyword back in May has now paid dividends because they're repeat purchasing your sauce over and over again in your, your item section. And that's the, that's the really sticky behavior that Instacart created. And before I go to the break, cause I don't want to forget to ask this question, the difference between, you know, someone who's like 
a growth person on the team, basically using Instacart's ad buying dashboard or whatever they call it versus investing in something like Perpetua's is that there's just, there's a lot more to be like figuring out and playing with. And you always have to be kind of monitoring it and trying to hack it a little bit as a human versus like the AI doing that for you and just a little bit more set it and forget it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so whether it be on Amazon or whether it be on Instacart, uh, we have our customers create goals. Um, goals are uh, collections of advertising campaigns across a single SKU or a group of SKUs where you dictate your advertising aggressiveness. And then within each goal, um, our product will uh, change bid prices daily um, to align um, the performance with the objective and strategy that you set on the goal. It will harvest new keywords. So it'll come up with a bunch of new keywords or SKUs or ASINs to go after. Um, and it will find opportunities that you, the human, would not otherwise be able Got to it. do. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. We're going to take a quick break now that I understand exactly what you do. <laughs> and then when I come back, we'll get nitty gritty. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat, and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, It's so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. I'm back with Adam Epstein, who leads all customer and revenue growth at Perpetua. Okay. Before we were talking about Instagram, you said something really Instacart. interesting. Instacart. Instacart, right. Uh, you said something really interesting that I want to touch on, which is that it's never really been easier to launch a product, but it's pretty hard to sort of get that product in into the world a little bit, right? There's a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of money out there. Um, I'm, I'm curious a little bit about companies that you're seeing, what, what you're seeing companies do that is effective and good. What, you know, do you have a good nose? Can you spot winners? Why are they winning? Um, and it's not, I'm sure, just like they're spending a lot of money on this stuff, right? There's definitely 
something going on. Um, and I'm just, I wanted, I want to touch on that before I forget to get to it later. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not a magic bullet of use perpetua and make millions of dollars. Um, that's certainly not the case at the core of everything is really a strong product and brand. Um, and the reason why I say both strong product and band brand is that, you know what, brand matters. Um, a lot of people used to think that something like Amazon was the, was the, the, the brand killer and that people were just searching for nondescript things that didn't really matter. And, uh, and, and you, there was no longer this need to invest in your brand, whereas that's actually not the case at all. Um, so one, you know, you have to have a strong product. You have to solve a pain point, a consumer pain point, have to have a product that people want to buy. Um, in the case of food that people find delicious, that, uh, speak to a specific customer subset at the right price point. Um, and and uh, once you do have that product, um, brand matters for a variety of different things. And if we get back to the Amazon use case, you know, I actually think that Amazon is not just a sales engine, but I think that Amazon has now become a brand building machine. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that have this misnomer, specifically DTC founders in the CPG space that think, you know, you're renting your customers with Amazon. Um, and, you know, Amazon owns the customer. But you know what? You might, you might not own the customer, but you do own the profits. You're, the, you know, the profits that Amazon is giving you, that cash in your bank account, that's not being rented. That's allowing you to reinvest um, in inventory. That it allows you to reinvest in new product lines. That allows you to, to uh, spend capital in ways that you were never able to do so before because there's millions and millions of shoppers on Amazon. I think also people do use it as a search engine, right? To some, oh, of course. To some degree, right? They're literally With, just Without like, question. Right. Over 60% of product searches in North America occur on Amazon, period, full stop. People are, if, if, if you're in a certain category and for the purposes of this podcast, I imagine most listeners are in the food emerging CPG space. Um, if you're in the food or emerging CPG space, you just need to be on Amazon. Um, so long as it's shelf stable, um, you need to be on Amazon because people are purchasing there. Um, and if you're not, your competitors are going to be there. And there's just a massive opportunity to, um, one, make a lot of money, and two, um, use Amazon as a customer acquisition channel in which they become, can become familiar with your brand so that perhaps once you acquire them on Amazon, you can then bring them into your DTC where you can you know own the customer, extract a little bit more margin out of those customers. But one, one of the things that I think is really, really important for every founder to know is you don't get to decide where your customers shop. The same way in traditional retail, you know, you don't decide whether your customers are coming from Wegmans or they're coming from Target or they're coming from Erewhon Market. You don't get to choose that. You just have to know that you need to be there and you need to put your best foot forward in every marketplace and every retailer that you're in. And, and on account of that, the extent to which you can invest in Amazon as a brand building channel and really double down or triple down on it, um, I think pays dividends specifically in this space. And, um, and that means using every single Amazon ad unit across the advertising funnel to, um, to ensure that customers are purchasing your products over and over again, and that your brand is sticky and that they're purchasing your products on D2C and traditional retailers when people go back to purchasing in the real world. Yep. So let's talk about that. I remember a couple of years ago having a conversation with someone about like, does Amazon take away from D2C? Does it add to D2C? Is it da da da? And that conversation feels very sort of anachronistic at this point. Like, 
I think, again, we are fresh, um, so it's a little different. But when you say like pulling out all the different stops and using all the different ad options on Amazon, um, what are those different options? And is there, you know, is there any place where, you know, for example, we're, we're in the Kroger.com system and they have 30 or so options for us. Um, and they're, you know, they're all different prices and some of them seem to make sense for bigger brands and some make sense for newer brands and they're all different ways to sort of play it. But there are four different options on Amazon. Is that right? Uh, four different advertising options, you mean? I'm not sure if it's four per se because, and the only reason why I say that is because the number of different ad units on Amazon are changing every single week. And, um, and Amazon's advertising business is growing very, very significantly. I would just say there's many, many different ways a brand can acquire a customer and tell their brand story on Amazon via advertising. And then how does a brand, if they're not working with an agency or they're not, you know, talking to experts, how do they figure out what are the right ones for them? And, you know, I'm assuming there are, you know, there's some sort of strategy to it. Yeah. So, so the, the ad unit that everyone knows on Amazon are sponsored product ads, which look initially looked a lot like Google ads. So sponsored product ads are paid search ads that occur primarily in search, i.e. paid search um, on uh, the Amazon search results page. They've now expanded to product detailed pages um, and so those are sponsored product ads. You bid on a keyword or you bid on an ASIN and they're wildly effective. What's um, an ASIN? An ASIN is like a SKU on Amazon. Okay. Um, SKU, UPC, um, Amazon likes to have everything start with an A. They're kind of crazy like that. Mm, um, it. so in, okay. in that, that's an, an ASIN is a SKU that you would bid on, on Amazon. Um, so it's, it really all started with sponsored product ads and then Amazon, launched something called sponsored brand ads. So sponsored brand ads were typically the headline that you would see at the top of the search results page that would direct to a product page or a brand store. So it provided an opportunity for brands to create a store in which they were able to tell their story on unique real estate on Amazon that they weren't otherwise able to do so before. Um, now Amazon then expanded to sponsored display, which are display ads that also occur throughout the Amazon shopping experience and on product detail pages. And does that show up like if you've been, if you've kind of like, if you've looked at something and then an hour later you're looking at something else, it kind of shows up on the right side of your screen or? For sure. Um, yeah. So that the, the tactic that you're referring to is retargeting. Retargeting is a wildly effective advertising strategy and sponsored display ads do, or retargeting is powered by sponsored display ads. Sponsored display ads also power um, a number of different advertising tactics, such as, um, you know, one of the the biggest things that happened this past year was, and now Allison, I'm going into the weeds of Amazon advertising. No, that's so great. Stop, stop me if I go too far deep, but this massive thing happened this year in which sponsored display created this ad unit called sponsored display product targeting, which allowed you to bid on specific ASINs, but it's not just the bidding on specific ASINs. It's the inventory with which the, where, with where these ads appear. So these ads occur above the fold on product detail pages, right below the buy box and right below the bullet points about your product. So I like to say these ads quickly became the, what the heck is going on 
uh, agency or what the heck is going on head of e-commerce for my brand. Because if I'm a CEO of the company and I'm going on my hero product and I now see my competitor on these really, really impactful inventory slots, I'm like, what are we doing? Our advertising strategy is totally wrong. And, and so everyone jumped on these ad units and they became really, really, really impactful. And they're still driving a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of spend and sales, and they're still relatively efficient. So that's sponsored display. Can I just ask a question about that? Sure. And I, I don't know that you can answer this, but it seems a little crazy to me, right? So I'm, I'm a Nabisco graham cracker and honey made graham cracker can buy an ad on my like on my page where you're about to check out from nabisco but you there's a honey made ad there is that what you're correct. saying correct correct as well as your branded searches um so we call that conquesting so you're and, searching and for nabisco but honey made comes up for sure and that, that that's been I've going on that. for, oh, that's that. been going on yeah. on google for decades and, um, and we call that a brand defense strategy. So if like, look, Allison, you know, if you, if you are Amazon and you're like, how are we going to make more money off advertising? And, and Amazon is making a lot of money off of advertising. They made a little over 20 billion in 2020. And, um, I think that grew about 40% year on year, which is really, really impressive on that baseline. Um, and so they effectively said, look, if you're playing brand defense on search, you should play brand defense on your product detail page as well. Um, so now you have to bid on that ad because if you don't, your competitors will. And your competitors might steal your customers because it's such rich inventory. It's almost like this this specific ad unit that I'm talking about is almost like um, you at you being at the in the traditional grocery store, you being at the cashier and show having the Haven's kitchen sauce. And I don't know who your biggest competitor is, Allison, but if if I were to have your biggest competitor showcase in a very small fridge at the cashier, um, would, would you pay to be there? Of course you would. I have your sauce in my hand. You need, you need to play that defense. And so, you know, to Amazon's credit, they're very smart people. Um, they, they made a very effective ad unit with sponsored display. Um, and then, then the other, uh, the other um, big aspect of Amazon advertising is this notion of the Amazon DSP. So all of the things that I just described are pay-per-click ads. Um, so anytime that you click on the ad, the advertiser pays for it and you bid on, uh, you bid on the keyword or you bid on the ASIN. Um, DSP on Amazon. So Amazon is this world of shopping data. You know, a, a lot of people say like Google knows what you search. Facebook knows what you like. Amazon knows what you buy. And what you buy is really, really, really impactful. And um, they have this world of shopping data. They've leveraged this data to create um, audiences that you can target for display and video ads on Amazon and off Amazon um, to redirect purchases to Amazon product pages or make people more familiar with your brand. So I'll explain that a little bit. So one, you mentioned retargeting. So you can obviously create a audience of people that have looked at your products um, and you can, but haven't purchased it and you can retarget them back to purchase your products, but you can also do some really unique things. Like for example, if you're a consumable product and customers ostensibly will purchase your product once every 30 days. Um, if I want to target people that have purchased my competitors products, but have not repurchased them in the past 30 days. So I know they like chimichurri sauce. 
And they bought that one chimichurri sauce. And I believe that people will buy a new chimichurri sauce every 30 to 45 days. I can serve display ads to those customers, both on and off Amazon. So really, really impactful data. Um, and by off Amazon, I mean like third-party publishers like the New York Times or ESPN, wherever you would see a display ad. And the other wild thing is um, Amazon has acquired these incredible video properties, right? So Amazon has acquired um, IMDb, 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 IMDb TV. They have Prime um, and the Fire Stick. Uh, they also own Twitch. So they have this millions and millions of Americans' eyeballs watching highly engaged video content. And they're able to now serve video ads like premium TV commercials for advertisers to showcase their products. And the most amazing thing about this is, you know, Allison, you would never even think about buying a TV ad for Haven's Kitchen, right? You would never, it, it wouldn't even like cross your mind at the moment. Maybe, maybe a Super Bowl ad in a few years, but, um, but at the moment you would never even think about that. But advertisers are now thinking about that because you can measure these ads in ways that you've never been able to measure them before. So because of your Amazon Prime account and because there you have the single sign-on, this unified identity across TV and now e-commerce and retail with something like Whole Foods, you can actually run a TV ad for a customer. Um, and if they don't see, if they haven't purchased your product from that TV ad, you can retarget them with a display ad and then if they purchase the product in Whole Foods, they'll find out that we purchased the products. So you can stop serving them that ad. That, that's, that's crazy, no? Yeah, no, it's like, crazy. That's my, that's my, like never before in the history of advertising has that ever been able to be achieved. And obviously Amazon's been able to do it if you put the pieces of all these acquisitions that they've made, which makes it like really, really, really impactful. And now the, the wild thing, I'm getting a little excited because it's, no, it's, it's all very space. wild. Clearly you love Amazon too, which I think it's is not just Amazon. <laughs> I, I am a shareholder. In Amazon. I know. I know. <laughs> Everyone's just copying them. Instacart, Walmart, everyone's like, whoa, like if they can do this, why can't we? And so we were talking about Instacart at the beginning of, of, of the show and you know, who's Instacart's advertising leadership team. They're all ex advertising people from Amazon. Well, I was going like, to ask Look, you that. Let's do this. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you, well, there are a couple things. One is in, in the notes before, you know, before that you sent me kind of prior to this, you said 60% of what people are seeing on an Amazon page is an ad. Specifically search anywhere from 60, sometimes it's a hundred percent on, I mean, that's nuts. And I think you said 40% of people don't even know that they're seeing an ad. I definitely did not know that everything that I'm seeing is an ad. Um, I'm one of those people very late to the, we, we spoke about me joining this company. I told my parents what I was doing and they're just like, there's advertising on Amazon. Right. <laughs> and here's the other thing right now, Amazon is 50% of all e-com sales, like Correct. in, in what in the world in america i think that's you i think that's a u.s, US. stat so uh amazon represents about 53 percent of the total uh e-commerce market share i mean and that's insane right because then you have all of the companies and then you have these other players that are just you know little bits of it i guess walmart is i think walmart's at like four to five percent uh kroger target instacart are in like the threes and the other elephant in the room, obviously, is Shopify. And I think Shopify came out with some figures around their earnings call last week, which said that they represent about 
25 to 30% of all e-commerce sales, which is a pretty Im- incredible achievement for them. So if, if Google is going to be what you search and Facebook is what you like and Amazon is what you buy, is there, are there room, is there room for other people to, to tell you what you like or and what you want to buy? And I mean, is Instacart able, I mean, Instacart obviously has the infrastructure in the, in the stores so that you can choose where you're buying from. And, you know, there it's, it's a different value proposition than Amazon, but are they going to be able to dig into some of that? You know what, Allison, I'm, I'm really going to blow your mind here. You just mentioned uh, Google is where you search. Facebook is what you like. And Amazon is where you buy. I would argue that all of Google Facebook and Amazon in the next year to two years, they will all be where you search, where you like, and where you buy. Um, Instagram is becoming a store. Um, Last week, they just announced an integration with Shopify Pay where you can natively check out on Instagram with your credit card and shipping info the same way that you can on Amazon. Um, So it's a store. Uh, Pinterest, very much, very much the case. there aren't that many in-search ads on Instagram at the moment, but there will be. And I know that when my wife searches a dress of some sort of a branded dress, the same way we were talking about um, defending your your product detailed page on Amazon, you're going to need to defend your branded searches on Instagram. Otherwise, that other brand is going to search for women's dress. Um, and then also... You know, Google is very quickly becoming a store as well. Google announced their shopping product in which, um, in which not only um, are they providing the ability to purchase on Google, but they're providing the ability to purchase on Google for free, uh, which is really a direct shot at Amazon, which is like, hey, like you're eating our lunch on search. Uh, clearly, uh, people want to buy on, on, on the internet. Uh, we need to take advantage of this and we need to build out our commerce capabilities. So um, Google will very quickly become more and more of a store. And so we're getting back to like, you can't choose where your customers are. You really can't choose where your customers are. You really just have to be everywhere, whether that be in retail and DTC and Google, Facebook, Amazon. Um, if you're a brand that wants to grow, you have you have to view everything as commerce, not just e-commerce. And you have to uh, adopt those new ad platforms and those new e-commerce marketplaces as they evolve. And what we we personally have discovered on, on Instacart through our journey together is that if you can adapt and if you can do it quickly, there are early mover advantages to winning new customers. Yep. Okay. So I, I totally get it. I understand you have to be everywhere. All of these things are now all going to be opportunities for people to shop there. And when you have opportunities for shopping, you have opportunities for ad spend. And yet, um, a lot of us as emerging brands are are just are overwhelmed with what we have to begin with, right? Like, it's a lot. Um, so, you know, I know you're building out platforms for all of these different everyone that. I mean, it feels like you guys are just going after every place where there can be commerce online. You are going to build product for. Um, that's the that's the dream, and 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 you know what we try and do um, for brands and advertisers, we try and build growth infrastructure for e-commerce. 
So, you know, Shopify might be your store. Um, Stripe might be the payments infrastructure. We try and build growth infrastructure. So if you want to grow your business on a marketplace or retailer and eventually your DTC, um, we don't have we don't offer a DTC product at the moment, but it's certainly something we aspire to in the not too distant future. Um, you're you're going to use our software um, um, in efficient ways um, with simplicity for you to be able to allocate your advertising dollars as best as possible across all channels to grow your profits as a brand owner. So is it possible that in a year from now, we will have a dashboard from you guys that has all of the different places like our Target Online, our Kroger Online, our Instacart, if we're on Amazon, our Amazon, all in one place that will be able to, to use its little machine brain to, to figure everything out? We're just going to say- work, like, We're working on it. Um, I can't guarantee everywhere. Uh, we have an amazing team of incredible product folks and software engineers uh, working very hard at expanding our product offering beyond Amazon, beyond Instacart to a Target, Walmart, maybe Kroger, maybe Google Shopping, maybe Instagram Shopping. Um, um, what I can say is that we're very, very excited to be here. We're very excited to work with brands like you. And, um, and there's, there's nothing that gives us greater joy than hearing these stories of someone like yourself that's, you know, grew in one retailer 350% or the folks at, at super cubes that were able to raise a massive round on shark tank. Because again, that gets back to the mission of our company, which is to give superpowers to anyone that sells online. And, um, and ho hopefully you feel like you have superpowers behind uh, behind you with us, Allison. No, I really do. I really do. I have questions, though, for my friends out there who aren't necessarily ready for a Perpetua. And they're on Instacart trying to do it themselves. Um, how, what's your best advice? Like, what, you know, is there, how do you define how, you know, what, what should you be looking for on that return? You know, obviously step one is, you know, what's my budget basically to spend. Um, but you know, what would you say, choose a lot of keywords, choose a few keywords and see how they do, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, all of it. For sure. It's, it's a great question. Um, every business is different and every category is different. You know, we spoke about the competitiveness or the lack thereof of Instacart you know, even this summer, there were some categories that were actually very competitive, um, whereas some categories simply were not. And I think that still rings true to this day. So if, for example, you are not in a competitive category, um, I would strongly recommend thinking, what is the highest volume search term in the category that you live in? And how can you win as many customers as possible on that search term? If you sell some sort of keto healthy, um, non-dairy yogurt, go after yogurt. Um, cause, cause you might not be able to do so in the future. Um, so we call those flagship category keywords. So if you can own a flagship category keyword on something like Instacart right now in an efficient way, do it. Um, it will show that you're not in a competitive category and you can ring those benefits of repeat purchases on Instacart. Also, if you're not in a competitive category, we spoke about that strategy of competitor conquest and go after your competitor keywords. Um, 
and uh, those competitor keywords can be very efficient if they are no not advertising on Instacart. And because Instacart's new, not everyone is advertising on Instacart. Um, if you are in a competitive category, you know, think think about the strategy that you want to have, and that strategy might change. You know, so we have uh, a variety of customers that have nationwide distribution at some um, uh, specialty retailers, and um, sometime over the past few months got into Costco. And if you're a brand and you've been around for five to six years and you get into 20 Costco stores, you want to blow that up. You want like you want to be you want to show Costco that you can get the most amount of sales as best as possible immediately. Um, because that you've worked so hard for that opportunity. You want nationwide distribution on Costco that can literally change your business. So in, in those instances, and you kind of spoke to it about when you, when you first got into Target and first got into Whole Foods, although Whole Foods is not on Instacart, you know, you have a distinct strategy when you have a new, when there is a new retailer involved. So when you're in that new retailer, um, um, go a little bit more aggressive on Instacart because it is the most scalable way for you to accelerate purchases at that retailer, um, especially in this world of no demos, especially in this world of, you know, people not being able to go to a trade show. Um, yep. so, and I think so what you if said there are important. those opportunities, go mm-hmm. crazy. I think what you said is really important. And I do, I try to talk about it a lot on the show because I think a lot of founders, myself included at the beginning, you know, you make the mistake of ringing the bell when you get the first sale, you know, it takes a lot to get a buyer to say yes. A lot of the times, um, they're hard to reach. They don't take meetings. They finally, you know, they finally give you a chance and you're so excited and you get your first PO and you're very tempted to be like, yay. But, you know, the real yay comes after the second PO and the third PO. And six months later, when they want to bring in another SKU and they want to expand the line and they want to know what innovation you have, that's that's the real, you know, sort of signal of success. And, and you saw that this year, right? Yeah, 100%. And the thing Amazing. is, is that what, what I think, I think what... A, and this is interesting too. I think a lot of digitally native brands, when they break into wholesale, they assume that because they've been doing so well digitally, they're going to do really well in the store and the buyers are just going to be excited that they're on their shelves. And it just doesn't work like that. You still have to work for those buyers to show them, you know, I mean, it used to be like, you used to have to buy an ad in the circular that no one read but it wasn't so that you were creating an ad. It was like another way for that buyer to see that you were bought in, to get some you know, revenue in there. It shows commitment. Um, and I think this is part of that, right? Like it's, it's interesting to say to you know, the Fresh Market or to Wegmans, we're putting a lot of money into Instacart to support our sales at Wegmans and the Fresh Market, but they are, I think, starting to understand that that tide is rising their ship as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, how do they how do they respond to that when you when you tell them that? Out of curiosity? I mean, so you know, we're 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 tender with it, right? I mean, a couple of them, a couple of places, you know, they they just want you to advertise with them, or they want you to do a lot of promoting. Um, I think that the I think a couple of the, you know, the more kind of keyed in buyers 
understand that a race to the bottom isn't necessarily great. Being on promotion isn't gonna do all that much if people aren't in the store, right? And if people are buying online, um, this is just another opportunity to get to get more volume. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's a little tricky. I mean, it depends on the retailer for sure. Obviously, the stores that have their own platforms are thrilled about it, right? Like you're now, you're spending against in-store promotion and in-store signage and in-store stuff and also the, you know, e-com options for those stores. But the ones that don't have the e-com possibilities themselves, I think they're starting to understand that it is helpful for them. I mean, I don't know that Wegmans at the beginning would have been like, oh, great, you're spending money on Instacart. But I think now they are like, huh, now there's now they see a lot of movement um, where they're, you know, they might have seen like, OK, movement before. But time will tell. For yeah, sure. you know, I, I think one of the most interesting things about Instacart ads is what or Instacart in general is what happens with Instacart when the world opens up again. So, you know, everyone has seen the graphs of the percentage of e-commerce is total retail just shooting up like 10 years of growth in, in, in one year. Um, and, and while uh, that growth rate obviously cannot continue, um, there will be a new baseline set. There will be a new baseline set for a variety of purchases, but grocery I'm convinced will be a purchase that is still always going to have a very significant in-person in-person shopping experience. Especially fresh, right? Yeah, and that's, sure. I mean, that's kind of our big pitch to our buyers. Like people are going to be buying their rice and their beans and their pasta. And yes, their graham crackers online, I would say a good percentage of the time. They've gotten used to it. There's a lot of sort of research, you know, you've seen the numbers I have. 60% of people prefer it. They have more time. They don't have to stop by the market. But fresh, you know, people still want to pick out their lettuce and they still want a little bit of, you know, tootling around and seeing what they should make for dinner tonight and stuff like that. But I do think, you know, and this goes back to sort of retailers need to figure out a little bit more how to make the stores match the the e-com experience a little better. So, so consumers don't necessarily want to be running from one end of the store, picking up a rotisserie chicken to the complete other end of the store, picking up their vegan cheese to the other end of the store, picking up their sauce. Right. And so I think, I don't know, it's a very interesting time to be in the business. I'll tell you that much, but um, I, for one, am very happy that we have all of um, our stuff with Perpetua. I, I don't think this we're is happy. Something, we're happy to work. Yeah. With you <laughs> this isn't something that we could be doing on our own. And I actually now have questions when we, you know, in the next couple of days where I want to know, like, should we be spending a little bit more? Um, now, you know what we actually do after. Exactly. After it took chat. me. Whereas, whereas before you were just paying us, sales would go up and you wouldn't really know what, what exactly. was going on. And I think, you know, I'm probably, I would probably get like a B uh, like in terms of like, if I was given a test on Perpetua, I would, I think I'd get like an 85 
I don't, I is don't know before, that <laughs> before today or after today. No, before today I would have gotten like a 75. Now I'm like, okay, okay. I, I get the gist. Like I, I think I would get multiple choice pretty much right. If I had to write an essay, I would definitely not do well. Um, well I'm, I'm glad to get you in the A range. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not you. Hopefully You're... as we embark on year two of our work together, we can even get bring it up to like a, a plus. plus. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to shoot too, too far. Um, but Adam, thank are you. Gonna, you. Are you going to be yeah. on Amazon? Is there, is there, is there yeah. Haven's Kitchen on Amazon? Well, up? there's some exciting stuff. Should I, should I, am I allowed to even ask this? Is um, this you're allowed to ask. It's a little bit of a secret. It's not with the product that we have right now. Wow. Um, which means that there is some innovation coming our way uh, at the Can end you give of us the hints? year. No, I'll no give hint. you hints, but not on, not on the pod, um, right. but it's very exciting. And, um, yes, it, it is an Amazon, it is an Amazon product for sure. That is really exciting. Yes. Um, Adam, Allison, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank, thank you. you for having me. Um, and thank you for just not making me feel dumb as you explain all these things. And, um, again, I'm really psyched if, if there are brands out there that are listening that want to get in touch with you or Perpetua, how would you recommend that they do that? Yeah, go to perpetua.io. There's a big purple button that says get started. Get started and we'd love to work with you. Amazing. Amanda, thank you for engineering as always. Um, sorry, I went a little over, but you know, this is important stuff. And um, for all of you listeners, thank you again for everything, continuing to listen and send me all your DMs and ideas and suggestions. Um, I have such a fun lineup of guests over the next six months. It's, I can't wait. Um, and so I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.